0: This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at be Nation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. Well, this is typical getting a girl pregnant. Only a man would do a thing like that.
1: <laughs> Rest in peace, Suzanne Summers. An anthology about the bad, the short-lived, and the forgotten shows and events in television history. This is It Was a Thing on TV. Punisher!
2: Control! Hey, before I change my mind! I give you Super Train! Oh, Episode
3: 419, submission number 797, Child's Play. Child's Play aired on CBS Daytime from September 20th, 1982 to September 16th, 1983
1: for 258 episodes. That's an amazing 242 more episodes than Uncle Croc's Block, the Hudson Brothers Razzle Dazzle Show, J.J. Starbuck, Schooled, the number of aired episodes of Salvage One, and we did a little bit of research and we found another show that we've covered that fits that bill, and misfits of science and and i did this and greg and chico can verify this wednesday night i went through wikipedia uh 53 years of schedules to come up with every show that might be on our list which had 16 episodes and i came up with a pretty amazing list i don't know if i should spoil it
3: no don't spoil it
1: Nah, they don't deserve it. I'm sorry, folks. You don't deserve it at this point. But there's some names that we're going to cover in the future. So how many
3: total episodes
0: was this show?
1: 258. Okay, so it's... 258. 258 divided by 16. So it's 16 crock
0: blocks. And... One eighth of a crock block.
1: 16 and one eighth crock blocks. Yes, Yes. 16.125. Crock block. Greg knows how to use his calculator on Windows.
0: It's my iPhone, silly.
1: Whatever. You know how to use a calculator. Good for you. All right, theme
0: music.
4: This is Michael, age seven. This is Candace, age eight. This is Christopher, age seven and a half. These children and others like them will try to make you understand what they're talking about on Child's Play. And here is the host of Child's Play, Bill Cullen. Over the left Hi there. Thank you. Oh. <laughs> oh, I thank you all very kindly. You're marvelous and welcome to Child's Play.
3: Few television partnerships have lasted longer or had a more profound legacy than that of Mark Goodson and Bill Todman. From the early days of radio to the birth of television, it seemed like the perfect match. Goodson was the creative, and Todman handled the business end. But in the summer of 1979, on the heels of a renaissance that saw the birth of Family Feud and Card Sharks and the rebirth of the match game, The Price is Right, and Password, that legacy would be tested like never before. Bill Todman died on July 29, 1979, two days before his 63rd birthday, which left Mark Goodson to handle both the creative and and executive direction of the company. In the early 1980s, Goodson made a move to acquire Todman's share of the company from his heirs, Lisa and Bill Jr., who here has seen Wild Wild West. I've
0: never seen it, but I know about it.
1: I've never seen it. Don't really know much about it.
3: Bill Todman Jr. was a producer on Wild Wild West.
1: Okay, after this
0: podcast for our listeners, when you are done, type into YouTube, Kevin Smith, John Peters, Superman Returns. That's all I'm going to say. If you know, you know.
3: From the fall of 1982, anything made by the production would be billed as simply a Mark Goodson. Television production. The first such show was Child's Play, a gamified version of Arc Link Letters Kids Say the Darndest Things. And who did they get to host Child's Play? Well, that's a stupid question. Gene Wood said so at the top of the show. We got Bill Cullen, the master, the legend. Seriously, what hasn't been said about Bill Cullen over the years?
0: Well, back in twenty twenty we did do the Bill Cullen Centennial covering three of his shows in the past. I think we did Winning Streak, The Love Experts, and the heck was the third one. Pass the Buck. Oh, Pass the Buck, yeah. I can't forget about Pass the Buck, even though I just did.
3: It was a very forgettable program, Greg. But that theme music. So, Bill Cullen, he's the guy from the 50s to the 80s that you would call to host a game show when you cannot possibly think of anybody else to call. This is a fact. Hosted more game shows than anybody in history. But then again... You probably already know that. What you probably don't know, or at least don't remember, was that this was Bill Cullen's final project for Mark Goodson and also his final project for CBS.
0: That's right, because after this, he'd go on to, What was that, Johnny? It was Hawk for
1: Turtle! You son of a bitch! Johnny,
0: you have to watch yourself.
1: Not before he did a week of Match Game Hollywood Squares. From Hot Potato, Bill Cullen.
3: But yeah, this was basically Bill Cullen at his top form. Getting along with both adults and kids. And, of course, making light fun of himself in the process. Because, let's face it, that's what Bill Cullen is good at. He is the master of self-deprecating humor. So how is Child's Play played? Well, Child's Play is played with a video library of kids from all across the country defining common words. People, places, things, ideas. And it's up to two players to try and guess what they're talking about. On the show, the panel of kids, they are aged five to nine.
1: So you're talking about kindergarten to third grade, right? I think it was a little closer to maybe like first grade, maybe second grade to maybe about fourth. I think we're looking at the age range of about like seven to ten. I don't think they had kids younger than seven. And I'm pretty sure they didn't have anybody older than 10.
3: So in the first round, we play, I want to say, six definitions. A word was given to the audience, but not to the players, because they would watch up to three kids try and define a word. For example, let's just say, I am... A nine-year-old Chico. I already have the library background, as you can see. And the word was podcast. And I'd be like, well, it's uh, it's like this thing that your dad does with people on the internet, and and they, he talks into a thing, and they talk about absolutely nothing at all. And you're you're wondering what they what they do with it and what they're talking about, and then they release it on the internet. And for some reason, people on the internet give them money,
1: money. <laughs>
3: if a child said any form of the word or any sort of incriminating clue that would lead to the word. The audio was censored, and a sort of sticker was placed over the mouth of the kid. Once the clip ended, the contestant has a chance to guess the word. If you're right, you win a point. If you're wrong, you get another clip for your opponent. And that continues for some time. Until the second commercial break, because after the first word is the first commercial break, and Bill Cullen says, We play to the school bell, and whoever has the most points at the end of the game wins $500 and goes on to play for $5,000. He makes it absolutely clear that those are the rules. The champion always leads off every game. And control alternates between the two contestants on each new word until the round ended at the second commercial break. Second round is called fast play, where each contestant would be racing to the buzzer on a single word at a time and a single clip at a time. Either contestant could stop the playback by hitting the button in front of them to guess the word. If they are correct, they earn the points for that word. Now, in the first three episodes, fast play was played in two halves. Each half ended with the bell. Correct answers were worth one point at the first half and two in the second. After those three episodes, they decided that they are going to play each word for two points. If you buzz in and miss. Your opponent gets to hear the entire clip. And the round continues until a school bell rang. Player in the lead wins $500 and goes on to the bonus round called triple play. Well, it was originally called triple play. We'll get to that. Because the bonus round was in two formats. The first format was called triple play where the player had to guess words based on up to three definitions written by up to three children, identified only as A, B, or C. For this, they called it usually the ABC game. Once the champion selected the child, the corresponding definition would be displayed on a screen after which he or she could either guess or select another child. If the champion is unable to identify the word after hearing all three definitions, it was thrown out of play and we go on with a new word. The object was to get 6 words before 45 seconds elapsed. If you did that, you won $5,000. This is in addition to the 500 you won previously. So, because champions are only allowed 5 games, you could win a total of $27,500 and retire undefeated, theoretically. However, if you run out of time, you still get $100 for every word you guessed correctly. This continued until the April 25th, 1983 episode, in which we had an endgame similar to, but legally distinct from, Pyramid called,
1: Turnabout. Did this one star John Shuck? Did it have Sharon Gless? Was there an idol involved that changed people's
0: genders? Did Sharon Glass smoke a
3: cigar at one point? She no, no, maybe, and no. <laughs> so Turnabout was played with the champion and a panel of five kids who, up until... That time, you only saw on videotape. Now, they're on stage on a panel trying to guess what you're trying to convey to them. The champion has to describe seven words addressing one child at a time in sequence. They're displayed on a tiny screen. A tiny scream! Above the panel. And they're also displayed at home. Each correctly conveyed word wins $100. Plus $100 to be split equally among the children. You know, it makes me wish that Donald Lepre <laughs> didn't host
0: the show. To teach the kids about Tang
3: class fighting! Tiny classified ads for
1: tiny people like yourselves. Tiny human beings talking about tiny words for a tiny amount of money.
3: (laughs) The player can pass at any time, and that's important because they only got 45 seconds to guess six of the words. If they gave an illegal clue, the word is thrown out of play and they go on to the next word. If the kids guess all seven, I said six, I meant seven. If the children guessed all seven words before time ran out, the bonus round winnings for them and the champion were increased to 1,000 for the kids, split equally, and 5,000 for the champion. And that's basically child's play in a nutshell. The show aired as part of CBS's research and game show lineup from September 20th 1982 at 10:30 right before the price is right and right after the new $25,000 pyramid it replaced reruns of Alice at the time
1: yeah but do you know what got replaced the,
3: yeah but you know right, what, wait, get, wait, wait, hey wait, hey wait, we're wait. getting to that you little demon hey wait your turn we will
0: get to you yeah, we haven't talked about the kids that appeared on this show yet. Yes.
1: So you're saving the best for last, okay.
0: <laughs> so, hold yeah. on, hold on. Whammy, I got to be really happy that you're back this season for another year of brush your life.
1: It's good to be back. I wish I would have gotten more money on Tuesday. And thank you for your contribution, Greg. Your silence is deafening.
0: <laughs> Sorry, Whammy. <laughs> So what did it go up against?
3: On ABC, we had local programming. So whatever the affiliates were uh, programming at 1030. Could be anything from Richard Simmons to Gary Collins' Our Magazine. (laughs) (laughs) But on NBC, it wasn't enough that it went up against Wheel of Fortune to start. Later that winter, NBC brought back Sale of the Century.
0: Oh,
3: I don't need to tell you how that
0: ended up. So wait, this went up against Sally Julian.
3: By the way, we did talk about this on a previous entry on It Was a Thing on TV, January 3rd, 1983, in game shows. Look it up. Sale of the Century, Wheel of Fortune, Hitman, and Just Men.
1: We didn't talk about Wheel of Fortune, you asshole. We talked about Plinko's debut.
3: Yeah, we did talk about Plinko's debut. We did not talk about Wheel of Fortune. But Wheel of Fortune did move to 11 o'clock. Obviously, the format was absolutely repetitive at best. But it's what made the show work. The kids made the show work. And some of the kids are actually doing quite well for themselves. Our first... Kid panel that went on to bigger and better things would be a kid by the name of Brecken Meyer. Let's take a look and see what he has to define here.
4: This time it's Brecken Meyer. Brecken Meyer, please, sir.
1: Uh, it's something that dogs wear. Quick leash.
4: No. Incorrect. The rest of the description is all yours. Listen to Brecken. Here it comes, Susan.
1: To keep um, fleas off sometimes. And they put it around their necks. And cats worm too, sometimes. And that's about all I know about them.
4: So, all you need to know, Brecken, what do you think it is? Collar. Collar's the right answer, Susan. You have the lead eight to seven.
3: So, that's one of the big names that came from this show. Here's another one. Kid by the name of Tara
4: Reed. Word will be described, a brand new word, remember, by a seven year old from New Jersey. Her name is Tara Reed. Tara, please.
1: I ask people how they feel about being movie stars. And so they said, fine, I love being movie stars. It's very fun, you be on TV. And then they, and I said, I'll give you a piece of paper and I'll write my name on it and you can keep it, how famous I ever get. And then they were like, I didn't ask her that.
4: Well, that's life, Sarah. Anybody
3: know what? she was talking about by the way your guess is as good as mine it was an autograph obviously another famous face that came from this show probably better known for his stomach than his face it's actually adam richmond and before man versus food and before his dramatic weight loss he was just a third grader from new york it should be noted that this is during the turnabout era of child's play
4: come on in here kids there they go or here they come hello bunch we are happy that they good looking group i hope they do well for you we will now have the children introduce themselves old friend of ours eileen start off hi i my name's Yako. I'm eight years old and I come from Los Angeles, California. And we're very happy to have you here. You've been with us since the very beginning of our show. What do you What do you do, or what are you going to do with the money you've won, I Eileen? Mean? Well, I think I'll buy my sister a Ferrari since my mom won't buy her one. Oh. That's awfully nice of you to take care of your underprivileged sister like that, maybe Eileen. Yeah, and maybe I'll <laughs> spend some money on college. Uncle, that's a good idea. Do that before the other. Let, let's have you introduce yourself, please,
1: Adam. Hi, my name is Adam Richmond. I'm, I'm in third grade, and I'm from New York City.
4: Okay, Brian.
1: Hello, my name is Brian Milch. I'm seven
4: and a half years old, and I live in Brooklyn, New York. And Jason. Hi, Mr. Cullen.
1: Oh. I'm Jason Telford. I li- I'm i in the third grade, and I live in Van Nuys, California.
4: And by golly, it's Haley Finn. Haley.
1: Mr. Cullen, I'm Haley Finn, I'm from New New York City, and I'm in third grade.
4: And we welcome you all. Happy to have you with us. They're gonna be your helpers, and they're gonna do a good job. We're gonna show you, Teresa, Seven words, one at a time. As you know, you have to define them so that these children will say the word. If you get stuck, you pass, and then we'll come back to that word if there's time. We pay you $100 a word. If you get them all all seven, you win 5000 The children will divide $100 for each right word, and if you get all seven, they are going to split 1000 I have a total of 45 seconds on the clock. You're going to begin with Eileen here, first off, and you begin describing the moment you see that first word. Good luck any time now.
1: Okay, this is um the Liberty. It has a crack Stats in it. Liberty. Um, it has a crack in it. It rings. You can ring it. Um, Pass. Um, Adam, next word. This is the thing that the bird sits on to lay its Nest. eggs. Next
4: right. word, um, Brian. This
1: is um something that you do in a swimming pool off of a board. Swim. You do it off of Die. a board. Next right. word, okay. Jason. Okay. Uh, this is um right here. It's my back. My huh. back. Right.
4: Next word, Haley. Um,
1: this is when you don't feel like doing anything. You just want to lay out Boy. in the sun. You are when you don't want to do Lazy. anything. Right. Next word, Um I mean. This is where you, what you cook on. It, it has a burner and you put pots Still. and pans on it. Right. Next word, is uh, This is, um, um, it grows up the side of a building, it's green. Uh, take algae. a look at that
4: word, take a look at um. that word. Keep going.
1: Um, this, the,
0: um, the, plant, uh,
4: this is this is the um Kudzu. Pass that word. Okay, okay, here we go. I know what happened to you, and I've I seen it happen Ivy. before. You, I
1: looked at it. Now like,
4: let oh, me okay. tell you what happened. The word we were looking for there. What if I well it doesn't matter what the clue would be because you saw that as Ivy. Right. Ivy Why It was really ivory, Ivy. Because like when you <laughs> said it grows up the side of a building, I thought what a crazy building yeah. that
1: was. <laughs> and I do want to add something about Adam Richmond. You know how we've had the occasional mention of that person had a card in Americana? Yeah. I think we're going to do a new segment starting now because guess what? Adam Richmond had a card in Allen and Ginter. Wow. That's Topps' baseball series. Well, you heard the box break I did about two weeks ago. It's the box break that has baseball but also has different celebrities. And if we want to do another little tie-in with Man vs. Food... The most recent host of Man Vs. Food, Casey Webb, had a card in this year's Allen & Ginter. We all are kids of the 80s. We love the Goonies, especially the video game on the
3: NES. Here's Chunk, Jeff Cohen, describing a word.
1: I really hope he has to describe the truffle shuffle.
2: Oh,
3: just play the clip.
4: Oh, you, the voice you hear will be one of our interviewers here, but you listen to, there he is, old two-peaked cap himself again, Jeff McMahon, eight years old, talking about the same word. Okay, Jeff.
1: Uh, is this a word? Oh, you go roll. Okay. Roll him. Roll him. It. Well, well, it's like when somebody has a special kind of accent or something, like Humphrey Bogart talks with a and... Mae West always goes R-r-r-r. And like I can do um, Alfred Hitchcock This is a good one, I just made it up <laughs> Good evening <laughs> <good> ladies <laughs> and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen And welcome to Oops Oops Presents We will scare the whoopie out of you Very good.
4: When did you start learning to do that? Alfred Hitchcock? Mm.
1: Today. Jeff McMahon! He just learned how to do it today, didn't he? And we should say the word was impersonate. In case anybody was thinking it was like accent or something like that. Okay, guys. I
0: figure now I should make a correction to something I said two weeks ago. Okay, remember when I said back in Together We Stand that Data was responsible for knocking the statue of Mikey and Bram's mother's David statue and the penis coming off? Yes. Oh, yeah. Well, it turns out that it was not Data who was responsible. You see, Chunk saved the statue of David and then he stupidly knocked it down, causing the penis to fall off the statue. Oh, jeez. Really? So it's... So it's all Chug's fault with the penis on the statue.
3: Uh, because of course it would be Chug's fault, wouldn't it? Before she was all that, she was just there. Six or seven-year-old Lori Beth Denberg. And I do not know what she's defining here, but let's take a listen.
4: word Lori Denberg has it. Lori, dear.
1: It has two bumps on its back. Louise. Camel.
4: Camel's right. You picked up two. Ready to interrupt Lori Denberg. Lori.
1: They come in green and purple, and they're a fruit. and.
4: What do you think, Louise? Grapes. Grapes is the right answer. Do it again. Here is Lori Denberg with the next one, Lori.
1: He was a person who built a, a, a large ark.
4: Anne-Marie! Time is up! Okay, now the rest of the description goes to you, Lynn. Hear it out, Laurie Denberg, please, ma'am.
1: That he put animals in, and it started to rain. And so God made the ark move.
4: What do you think, Lynn? Noah. Noah, right answer.
1: You're ahead now.
3: Now, there was a bit of a bonus there, if you were paying attention, Mike, Greg. Did you notice who was sitting in the champion seat on one of those clips?
1: Oh, I was going to mention her, if that's who I think it is. The video is kind of blurry. Anne-Marie Johnson. Oh! From In the Heat of the Night, among other things. But also, because of course I need to tie it in with this show since I do like every week. She was on a week of the New Liars Club in 1988. No, it was not the week. No, no, it was not the week where John Barber's kids' favorite character from John Barber's kids' favorite show was on. No, no. not that week. I think we determined that it was Allison LaPlaca was the female on that panel that week.
0: I didn't think we'd work in a reference to the New Liars Club
3: this week, but Mike sure did.
1: Every week I'm going to work in a reference to the New Liars Club if I can.
3: So among the other former kids who went on to bigger and better things, we have Michael Morona from The Adventures of Pete and Pete, played Big Pete. You remember him. Devin Rattray, Buzz from Home Alone. Masi Oka from both uh, Heroes and Hawaii Five-O. But so wait, we've had two people from Home Alone on this show? Oh yeah, that's right. Michael Morona was also in Home Alone. Keep forgetting that. But one base who was not as known as the others, although he did make his presence known whenever he showed up, Bill Cullen actually had a nickname for him, the Demon Describer, Sasha Segan. And whenever he showed up, you knew you were in for gold. Because he couldn't be more than seven or eight. But he talked like he was Bill Cullen's age.
4: Get ready, both of you. Here's a short one with Sasha Segan.
1: This large city is the capital of Russia.
4: (laughs) Karen. Moscow. Moscow, of course. You lead the game 14 to 4.
3: You know what Sasha Segan is doing right now, guys? He is a technical expert for
1: PC Magazine. And I'm going to relay a story that Sasha Segan actually mentioned on a podcast, a podcast run by a friend of this podcast, run by Christian Carrion, called Tell Us About Yourself, where he interviews former contestants. Sasha Segan's not a contestant per se, but he mentioned that he never got a chance to see himself on Child's Play because I believe he was living on the East Coast at that point. And as Chico mentioned earlier, it aired at 1030 in the morning. And he brought this to Mark Goodson's attention. And Mark Goodson actually bought him and his family a VCR and tapes and shipped it to his house. So he could see his performances on child's play. Free of charge.
0: Wow, Mark Goodson, what a nice guy.
1: And I believe Sasha Segan actually mentioned he still has some of the tapes, but he hasn't seen them in years. But I'm sure we'll get to the broadcast history as to where it's aired uh, in the recent past a little bit later.
3: That is pretty much the game in a nutshell. It was very simple which was its greatest asset, and also its greatest hindrance. Because watching kids define words for half an hour will get repetitive after a while. Bill Cullen always gives it his all, and this format
1: was reportedly one of his favorites. I think he really enjoyed working with the kids, to be honest, even though admittedly for much of the run the kids were on videotape he always
3: played it up he always had that bang on reaction that thing that we always expect from bill cullen to always have a nice reaction to something whether it was live or to tape or to the players or to the panelists or to himself this is why we love bill cullen ladies and gentlemen and also and this is mark goodson talking He's sweet. He's a great listener. He has a remarkable capacity for understanding. Unfortunately, after this show ended, their working relationship also ended, except for that one week of the Magic Game Hollywood Square's Hour obviously. What could they possibly replace this show with?
1: Oh, Mr. Carter, Mr. Carter. Pick <laughs> me, pick me. Whammy! Pick me?
3: Whammy. Yeah. Can I answer? Go. Yeah. Go, go. You gonna answer? Go. No answer.
1: They replaced child's play with blackout. Get out of here, you crazy cartoon. Okay. Can I say the real answer?
3: Yeah.
1: Right there, baby. Look at my cape.
3: Press your luck. Yep. And that lasted considerably longer. Than this, and speaking of long-lasting, a longer-lasting version of Child's Play actually produced in association with Goodson aired on ITV in the UK not too long after this was cancelled. Uh, Michael Aspel was hosting, and this version teamed celebrities with civilians. There is actually uh, an episode on YouTube where the players are teamed with Isla Blair and the Third Doctor himself. John Pertwee. Oh, nice! Wink, wink. Not, not, nudge, nudge. That is not the last time we are going to talk about Doctor Who this year. It ran for four seasons on ITV, produced out of London Weekend's. Sorry, London Weekend Television. And on September fifteenth, twenty oh eight, Telefutura now unimas commissioned a Spanish-language version called Dame la Pista, hosted by Alessandro Rosaldo, known less for her body of work and more for her marriage to Eugenio Derbez. Took cues from both the UK and US versions and added a round that saw players try to predict how kids would respond to survey questions. It lasted three months before it and companion show Que Dice La Gente were cancelled. Child's Play, in any form, has not been seen on our screens in new installments since. Although the show does currently air in Russia since the 2020 reboot, and per the extent of our research, is the only known version of the show airing currently. All of the episodes have been known to exist. Several episodes appear time to time on Buzzer and Prime Video, and episodes are available to watch for free on YouTube. We mentioned the kids, they've gone on to live their lives. Bill Cullen's definitely gone on to live his best life. He had two more shows in his record-setting repertoire before ultimately passing away into Legend in 1990. So what did the trades have to say about this show? Working in the show's favor is the expected professionalism of host Bill Cullen. Prize money can get as high as 5000 but the impression gained from one viewing is that winner, and there was one, has certainly earned the money. It was perhaps one of the best of Bill Cullen's storied career. But unfortunately... CBS could not garner ratings out of it, and in 1983, Child's Play just became a thing on TV.
2: Hey, guys! I got something to end this episode!
3: Oh, oh, really, Ghost of Johnny Olson? What would that be?
2: Well, you know, since we're doing Halloween this week, and of course, certainly since Child's Play bears the name of a certain horror franchise <laughs> I had chat GPT write me a spiel for a promo spot for Chucky the doll from child's play
3: I would love to hear that
2: okay step right up ladies and gentlemen and prepare for a spine-tingling surprise it's none other than Chucky the infamous pint-sized antagonist from child's play This isn't your ordinary doll, this is the real deal! Possessed by all the mayhem and mischief you'd expect! Chucky, the ultimate collectible for horror fans, comes complete with his menacing grin, signature overalls, and that chilling good guy's packaging! But that's not all! Order now and you'll even get the murderous mayhem accessory pack! So you can recreate your favorite scenes of terror! Imagine the shock and awe when you introduce Chucky into your collection or display him as a conversation starter. It's all in good, spine tingling fun, of course. Chucky is ready to play, and he's waiting for you. So, are you brave enough to bring this diabolical doll into your world? The choice is yours, if you dare. But act quickly, supplies are limited, and you won't want to miss out on owning a piece of horror history. Chucky from Child's Play, he's a scream come true. Well done.
4: And as you know, this is our final show. All I want to say is, uh, I've been in this business quite a few years, and I have never done a show that has truly been quite as much fun. The kids have been marvelous, their parents have been understanding, our staff has been superb, and I just hate to see it go, but that's the way of television and life and ratings. Meantime, thanks to all of you ever so much. If you like kids, we'll see you.
1: Punky, please don't lock yourself. Oh God, where can Punky lock herself? Punky, Punky,
3: please don't go into the
1: spring. Punky, Punky, don't lock yourself in the trash compactor. Punky, <laughs> God, that's, oh, that's horrible! Damn it, Mike, that's horrible. I'm saving it, but that's horrible. And now you know what I'm going to do with Let's Enhance.io. Oh, Punky Brewster looks so adorable in a trash compactor. Oh, no! Uh, uh, Greg! Greg, start the show! Start the show! All right.
0: Episode 420. Submission 2392. Invitation to Hell. Invitation to Hell was a made-for that aired on ABC Primetime the night of May 24th. 1984 and fun fact guys this movie aired one day before i was born
3: mama dina took one look at this movie and said hospital now
0: i'll have you know my mom is a big fan of all my children so she probably did watch this
3: you know what kudos we should all be fans of all my children because guess who's in this movie? Oh yeah. Erica Kane herself. La Lucci. Susan La Lucci. Lu- Susan La Lucci. La Lucci. La Luci. And I don't know if V, the miniseries on NBC took a cue from this. Greg, you know what I'm talking about, right?
0: Oh yeah, where she's wearing like at the beginning the red outfit. Yeah. But hold on a second, I have an explanation because you know who directed this.
3: Who directed this?
0: The master of horror himself, Wes Craven,
3: the guy who did Scream,
0: directed this. The guy who did Nightmare on Elm Street. Now I have an explanation for why it probably is because this same year he did this, he did a Nightmare on Elm Street, and you know who was in a Nightmare on Elm Street? Robert Englund, Fred Krueger. And, you know, he was also in V, Robert England.
3: So, I'm not saying Wes Craven was a fan of V, but he definitely was a fan of V. I'm seeing what's going on here. Wes Craven took one look at that and said, you know what? I'll make my own V with Blackjack and hookers. (laughs) So, aside from the obvious, what is this movie about? We have, obviously, Susan Lucci in the... Jane Badler role as the field leader of whatever this is. Because they're not aliens. They're demons. They're demons. They are hell-spot demons. Quite literally. This is literally an invitation to hell. So who's getting the invitation to hell? It's a family of four. An all-American Aww. family of four. We're talking about the Winslow family. Matt Winslow is executive in charge of special projects at a company called Micro Digitech, which is the 80s, 80s computer company that ever 80s, if you ask me.
0: That is the sh**tiest name for our company. Micro Digitech. That is no imagination.
3: You might as well just say, hey, look at me. I work with computers. Anyway, played by Robert Urich, Of course, he of Vegas, Spencer for Hire, and Future Entry, love both the next wave.
0: No, you mean Future Entry, Lazarus, man.
3: Thank you, adorable little girl. His wife, Pat Winslow, played by Joanna Cassidy. Oh, geez. She, Greg, she's just making her... Hall of Fame case.
0: Yeah, it's like she's having like a Nick Castellanos type postseason right now in the last three to four weeks. See how timely I am with the Nick Castellanos reference?
3: I see that. By the way, congratulations to the Philadelphia Phillies Philadelphia. for moving on to the NLCS. Now, there are two kids, also known entities. Playing the big brother, Robbie Winslow, Barrett Oliver, you know, the guy who isn't Noah Hathaway in The Never Ending Story. You don't look like Jonathan Brandis to me. And playing the younger sister, Chrissy Winslow, Soleil Moon Fry. Legend.
0: All right, guys, let's just get this all out of our systems, all right? Punker.
3: Punker? Oh, Punker. Don't go with the space, Punker.
1: (laughs) That's no fun compared to last week with the microwave. No, it's Punker. Please don't put yourself in the trash compactor, Punker. And now check the chat. Go to your room, Mike! (laughs) Look how cute she is.
0: Go to your room right now. It looks like Soleil Moonfry if she was a brat doll. That's
1: what I'm saying! She looks so adorable! That, too. That's a good call. But look at her. She's just surrounded by trash. And for once, I'm not talking about George Gaines. Oh, I'm sorry. Rest in piece of George Gaines.
3: Okay, so that's the family, but there are more people on the cast. We have playing the role of Tom Peterson, Joe Regalbuto, who we talked about in previous entry, Ace Crawford Private Eye, but, of course, known primarily for Murphy Brown, playing Mr. Thompson. Now, it's not that one.
0: It's the other one.
3: The other one. The one we talk about on a regular. Kevin McCarthy.
0: Not the other Kevin McCarthy. That other Kevin McCarthy, I think, is, like, On the unemployment line, I think.
3: This is the one from UHF and previous entry, What's Alan Watching? It was What's Alan Watching, right?
0: He wasn't on What's Alan
3: Watching. Oh, he was on something we talked about that was funny. Probably. All I know is he was on UHF and he was a heel.
0: Oh, Oh. he was the ultimate heel in UHF.
3: Oh, he was in the Weird Al show.
0: Okay, that makes sense.
3: He was a heel then, too. Uh, he was a bad man. Bad man. And then we have as Mary Peterson, Patty McCormick. Best known for her roles in... <laughs> Previous entry, The Ropers. Oh, gee. And if you remember her as Pat Nixon in Frost Nixon, then you have a better memory than we do.
1: I'll remember her as Jeffrey Tambor's wife on the Ropers.
3: All right. So, now that we know
1: who's getting an invitation to hell, how
3: do we get to hell? Because right now, hell looks like suburbia. And I'm not just being coy this time. But hold
0: on. Should we play the opening sequence to Invitation to Hell? Just so you get an idea of... Because you might not get an idea from the audience. But I just wanted to show how freaking insane this movie is in the first couple of minutes. Okay, here we go.
3: Regular old country collab. Oh yeah,
0: it's just a normal normal past country club. Oh, like there's Susan Lucci right there. There's some guy, What looks like the family truckster from National Lampoon's Vacation.
3: Wood panel suburban? Steaming Springs Country Club is the name of this place. place. Ooh,
0: there's a lot of things steaming.
3: And here we have Lionel Stander as Max. You better be careful, because this job is murder. murder.
0: Oh, he's distracted by some pretty ladies, and then, oh, runs over Susan Lucci, and then what? What?
3: What the what? (laughs) She melted his face off.
0: That's right. She melted his face off. Now, you guys can't see it, but his face melting off is in my Zoom background. And Mike, do you want to say what it says on the bottom below this? Still better than Blooper. Yeah. Still better than the Atlanta Braves mascot.
1: Still better than the entire Braves organization, if you ask me.
3: So this guy's face just melting off. So suffice it to say, Susan Lucci... How do I put this? She's evil. She's evil. She's the devil incarnate. But not many people know this. Except, of course, the employees of Steaming Springs Country Club. Which just got four new members, it would appear. Four new members? Four new members. Well... Four new prospective members. Oh. That would be Matt Winslow, his wife Patricia, and their friends, Mary and Tom Peterson. I should say friends and or co-workers. Because, you know, Tom Peterson was the guy who got Matt Winslow on board to the project.
0: Oh yeah, he at, recruited him to this yeah. company. Micro Digitech, again, a really crappy need for a company.
3: But it wasn't about computers per se. Although this is a computer company, they are dipping their well into other things. For example, a thermally reinforced state-of-the-art, one-of-its-kind, ahead-of-its-kind, spacesuit.
0: Oh, they have this reinforced spacesuit that's supposed to withstand like any temperature.
3: That's going to become important later. Yeah,
0: it seems like it's very convenient to the plot of this movie.
3: Hashtag gun. All right, so the Winslows, they move into their nice suburban bungalow, stucco walls, clay-tiled roofs, the whole nine. Very Southern California in the 80s course. Who's there to greet them? Mary and Tom Peterson. And that first night is nothing short of X-rated. Or as X-rated as you can get in primetime television. Yeah. By the way, speaking of computers, did we mention that Robbie Winslow loves computers?
0: Oh, he really loves computers. He loves computers so much. I bet you
3: he's a wizard. Commodore
0: 64.
3: Or that, you know, pre-iMac sort of dealy that, you know, all one sort of console with the, I wish I knew what the name of it was.
2: Apple II?
3: No, the Apple II was an all one console. It looks like the iMac, but, you know, it has its own, like, keyboard built in. I want to say it's a Vic-20, but I don't know. So the next day, Tom and Matt carpool to work where they – oh, wow. They take a look at the suit that Matt is helping to design. And like Greg said, part of the uh, beauty of the suit is not only can it take a whole lot of heat – It can give a whole lot of heat. Oh, it can give a whole lot of heat, if you know what it means. Everything to keep you alive. And it's up to Matt to put on the final touches. So yeah, it just, you know, seems like a suit that is quite ahead of its time. So while Matt is at work, hard at work on his suit, the rest of the family is just stuck in their own little world robbie's on his little i don't even want to call it an ipad but that's what it looks like it looks like an ipad 20 years before the ipad and the thing is robbie does not have any friends because robbie is a computer geek and we have not reached that point in our lives where computer geeks are not just welcome they are cherished we haven't reached that point yet. We're still on WizKids Midspits of Science sort of thing. Don't worry, give it about another 20 years. By the way, his favorite game? Astro Bomber. Oh, nice. Astro Bomber. Yeah, he doesn't have much in the way of friends because, well, the rest of the kids are just... How can oh, I put they're, this? They're jerks. I was going to say strange, but yeah, let's go with the jerks. They're very violent jerks. So now that the family has some spare time, they go out for a drive and uh, accidentally run into Susan Lucci. Yes. Who, by the way, Susan Lucci plays Jessica Jones. Not that Jessica Jones, but a Jessica Jones, who is a local insurance agent and director of the Steaming Springs Country Club.
0: An insurance agent? That's what we're calling
3: her. An insurance agent? An insurance agent. So not only is she an insurance agent, she also owns and runs the Steamboat Springs, the Steaming Springs. Steamboat Springs is an actual place. Steaming Springs, not so much. But yeah, Jessica Jones lures people to make a deal with the devil by playing with their desires. By the way, while all of this is happening, the Petersons are going into the steaming springs country club no there's actually steaming springs in the steaming springs country
0: club oh
3: yeah she invites them to the spring to the protective forces of the spring
0: And what do they do in the
3: protective forces of the spray? Nobody knows. Oh. They go into the room where the smoke is coming out of. And then the room is sealed off. Never to be opened. Oh. At least until Jessica wants them to open it. Not many people know what goes on in that room least of which is Matt. But right now, nobody is aware of anything, at least not anybody in the Winslow family. So while they are in the spring, Matt is testing out the helmet of the spacesuit. And it gives this whole, you know, heads up, Sort of doom like display, like it can identify humans and non human life forms, and also whether or not they pose an existential threat.
0: Oh, that would be really helpful if, like, an astronaut's like on Mars or something. I'm sure that's not going to come into play later in the movie, too.
3: And after the uh, test of the helmet, which, by the way, is a success. Matt runs into the secretary, a lady by the name of Grace, who gives Matt files and a reel, and she wants him to take a look at everything. Take a look at everything on this reel, please. Don't ask any questions. Don't try to understand. Just take a look at everything. Now, the head of the company, who is Kevin McCarthy, head of the company, Mr. Thompson, introduces Matt to Jessica Jones again. And she can't help but notice that Grace is looking at her Hmm. Jessica Jones does not want to know about the suit. She would like to know what is on Matt's mind. What makes him tick? What's his story? She wants something to, you know, poke at.
0: Oh, poke at. Mm-hmm.
3: Oh, my. And then... We take a look inside the helmet when Jessica Jones walks past it. You know what it says? What does it say, Chico? Non-human malignant. What? Non-human malignant. Now, Matt does not know this because he is walking over to Tom's office. And Tom is acting a little bit weird. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he used to be this exciting dynamic person. Now he's oh, just yeah. Cool. Now he's just cool. He's like, yeah, you know, I got this big office. I got this nice title. Whatever.
0: Yeah. I'm doing hookers and blow
3: right now. Because 1984, y'all. And the thing of it is Matt is not at all certain that this is the job for him. And Tom is basically like, you know what's going to Set you right? Going to the club.
0: You must go to this country club. There's a lot of hot happening at this country club.
3: You know you wanna. My family joined. They take good care of us. And hey, they'll take care of you too.
0: They'll take really good care of you,
3: Matt. Meanwhile, at home, we have the kids, we have Patricia, and it just so happens that the Petersons have a new car, too.
0: Oh, wow. They got a new car.
3: You got a new car. You know who can give you a new car? Me, you son of a... No, you already had your episode this week, Ghost of Johnny Olsen. Get out of here.
0: Well, who else can give you a car?
3: The folks at Steaming Springs Country Club.
0: Oh, yeah. These folks at Steaming Springs Country Club, they spared no expense.
3: So, after much thought, Matt goes downstairs that night and notices that Tom's son is watching really, really violent movies and being incredibly creepy about it. The next day, Grace the secretary is not at work. Instead, we have this lady by the name of Tracy who says that Mr. Thompson let her go. Doesn't this all read as oh, kind of weird? Yeah, none of this
0: makes any sense whatsoever.
3: Matt finds this kind of weird too. He's like, this is weird. And he talks to Mr. Thompson about it, and Mr. Thompson says, here at Micro Digitech." we value complete loyalty. Oh, so he's just like the Congressman Kevin McCarthy then. And Mr. Thompson suggests to Matt, Tom says you're thinking of joining Steaming Springs. Matt gets the tour of the place from Mary and Tom. And, oh, look, it's Jessica Jones again.
0: Matt's thinking, this f- is on my ass that wanted to join
3: this stupid f- club and Tom's like come on talk to her you're as good as in you're shoe in you should talk to her and of course because this is Susan Lucci and anything to get Susan Lucci from 1984 into a swimsuit seems like Whoa. everybody at the club has already heard some good things about him never mind that he doesn't know anyone huh. it's weird so Patricia, after going through everything with Matt, she decides that she wants to join and she and the kids go into the room with the spring. That smoky room that looks really, 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 really dangerous. Oh yeah, that scary-ass room. Meanwhile, Matt decides to do some sneaking around trying to figure out What on earth is so hot about this club that they want me to be a part of it? Yeah,
0: why is everyone on my ass about wanting to join this club?
3: Well, he discovers... the spring. The spring? And is way too hot to the touch. And... uh Uh
0: Uh-oh. Uh-oh.
3: Uh-oh. Yeah, Jessica Jones finds him peeking around where he shouldn't be peeking around. And she asks a question that you should never ever hear if you suspect anything. Don't you trust me?
0: Now whenever someone says, don't you trust me, that is a sign. An automatic sign right there that you should not trust this person.
3: So... Matt and Patricia have a fight, and this is, like, right before Patricia decides to have lunch with Jessica. You can only imagine where this will lead. Well, after lunch, at least they uh, kiss and make up, so, you know. Patricia, the next day, meets up with Jessica. Notices how lovely everything is. How wonderful it is. And why Matt is so frightened about everything? Well, I mean, isn't it obvious? Now, the club has this rule. Families must join as a unit. Jessica's willing to overlook this rule just this once. And so, Patricia, Robbie, and Chrissy go into the steaming spring. And I believe the word is enter into the spring and taste its power. Oh,
0: taste it's power, huh?
3: They are really hesitating about this. It's like, you'll be fine. By the way. Jessica takes Chrissy herself.
0: Oh no, that is not cool. You do not do that to Slay Moon Fry. I will do that. You're not hurting me! There. You're no. hurting me! No. No.
3: no. So That evening, Matt comes home from work and notices that it's awfully quiet, a little too quiet, and that the house is neat, a little too neat, and that the family is questioning why Matt hasn't joined the club yet. And the dog, by the way, the family does have a dog. His name is Albert. And he's a good dog. He's a good dog. Yeah. He comes into the room and starts barking his face off. Dog's like, me no like them, they look shifty. Me no like him look, him look shifty. Matt just cannot put his finger on whatever's wrong. So maybe... Tom will help him. But it all comes back to, you know what will help you out? Do you want to know what will help you out?
0: Yeah, if you join this club, everything will be a. And he's like,
3: I don't want to be in this club. But it just feels like my family are a bunch of strangers. Well, hey. Maybe a trip to the club will make you understand that they don't have to be strangers. You really have a hard-on about me joining this club, don't you? And then, the phone rings. Okay, pay attention, because this is going to be important. On the phone is a Mr. Henderson, Grace's husband,
2: it should be noted that Mr. Henderson is played by Bill Irwin, who was a that guy and that thing in many movies and TV shows. He notably played the character of Sidney Fields in three episodes of Seinfeld and was on a season four episode of the original Quantum Leap back in 1991.
3: He is a veterinarian. And according to him, I gotta wait for the secretary to leave the room. I don't trust her either. But according to the veterinarian, his wife came in with the dog. Wanting the dog to be put down because of a brain tumor, he looked at the dog and found absolutely nothing wrong with it. Walt keeps a hold of the dog and basically hides it from Patricia, who is insisting that the dog is euthanized. Or as he would put it, put it out of his misery, which is odd because Pat loves the dog. Yeah, it's so weird why would she all of a sudden
0: not like this dog?
3: A better question is, why would she want to watch it being put down?
0: Yeah, that's like, sickening.
3: And so, Matt gets his dog back. All of a sudden, things get curiouser and curiouser. Oh? Yeah. Matt returns home, And it looks completely different. It's like, is this my house? It's like
0: the Talking Heads song coming to life. It's like, this is not my beautiful house. This is not my beautiful wife.
3: Oh boy, you ain't lying. Oh God, it gets even better. Patricia is now wearing... A strappy number, a black, a little black strappy number. Similar to what Jessica would often wear. Matt confronts Pat about Albert getting euthanized. And all she wants is for you to spend more time with the children. But just give us a little more of yourself. And she says this with a knife in her hand. So after a little bit of prodding. Matt gets Pat to put the knife down. So later that night, while the family is asleep, Matt decides to do a little more sleuthing. He's going to get his inner Sherlock Holmes on to figure this out. And he gets intercepted by Patricia, who is ready to get down to the business of getting down.
0: Oh! The business of getting
3: down. And the moment they decide to throw themselves in the throes of passion, Matt can tell Pat is not really acting like herself. Oh, gee, what made him think that? So the next day, Matt calls up Walt and finds out something disturbing. Grace is dead. According to the highway patrol, she fell asleep at the wheel. That doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Apparently, the car burned and there wasn't anything left. This is... No, no, nothing about this makes any sense. This is all bizarre. And you want to talk about really bizarre? Hattie learned how to play the piano seemingly overnight. And it's not the same piano that they moved in with. This, no, this, nothing about this makes any sense. Yeah, Chico,
0: it's 1984. It's not like it's 1991 and you could learn how to play piano
3: on the Miracle Piano on Nintendo. So Matt breaks into the office and notices that the binder that Grace gave him, it's missing. But he still has the reel. So he looks up key employment movements within MicroDigitech in the past two years of upper echelon personnel. Dwayne Atherton was promoted. Albert Alturn promoted. Everybody's getting promoted. How many members were of Steaming Springs Country Club? All of them. So it's obvious the key to get promoted in this
0: high-tech company is to get into this hot club.
3: Nice choice of words there, Greg. Really nice. So Matt decides to break in to the country club. You know, if you really wanted to come in, Jessica would have let you in. of course, Matt will never keep her eyes off of him. But anyway, now the country club is setting up for a Halloween party that Tom is throwing. Matt takes this opportunity to sneak into the spring and use a thermometer because remember this is a very hot room how hot we'll find out as he breaks into the room the thermometer reads and I'm watching this on my phone so I know 800 degrees Fahrenheit It's essentially a rotisserie in there. Or a pizza oven. A pizza rotisserie. (laughs) And somebody finds him, and they have it out in the storage closet. But Matt gets the better of him and electrocutes him. Ouch. Matt returns home as fast as he can. And for some reason... Chrissy is acting out.
0: Oh, yeah. Because she's stabbing the bunny, right? She's she's stabbing. Like, no, Bad Bunny. Even though Bad Bunny's not going to be a thing for another 40 years.
3: Hey, you leave Bad Bunny's name out of this.
0: Hey, Bad Bunny's hosting Saturday Night Live. He's been doing stuff with WWE. He's on top of the world.
3: Well, she, she takes a moment out of stabbing her stuffed bunny to say hi dad matt wrestles chrissy to the ground and says you're not my daughter when she starts you know oh. <laughs> but i am your
0: daughter now you can see why soleil Moon Fry got the punky booster gig right there
3: so matt locks demonic chrissy into a closet but then and it (laughs) then comes Demonic Robbie. Demonic Robbie comes jumping off from the stairs. Jumping (laughs) off the top rope here. Put him in the closet. Yeah. Y'all fight amongst yourselves. Demonic White wants to get in on the action. Where's my
0: family? Where's my family, you son of a...
3: There's only one way that Matt can possibly solve this. He needs the suit. And guess who he finds waiting for him as he puts the suit on. He's basically saying, I'm just running some more tests on the suit, Tom. What's wrong? You're not one of us, Matt. You had your chance and you blew it. And oh, look, he's got a gun and everything. You know who else has a gun? Who? Matt's suit.
0: Why is there a gun in Matt's astronaut suit?
3: You ever been in space? That's some dangerous s***. You gotta be strapped, man. So, Matt uses the suit as sort of a costume. He disguises his voice as Tom's you know, the Tom that he killed yeah, with the laser in the suit. And he uses the sort of heads-up display to see who's real and who's fake. Everybody's fake.
0: Oh, everybody in this club. That figures. It figures why everyone got promoted. They're all
3: a bunch of phonies. Big, fat phonies. Yeah. $10 million suit. By the way, in a complete fit of absolute non-irony, one of the people in the costume ball is dressed as a literal Nazi. Yeah. Like, that doesn't hit it right on
0: the nose. This demon from hell is literally dressed up as a Nazi.
3: And if that doesn't work, then certainly the lady dressed as the devil who is actually the devil if you don't get it from that so yeah he sneaks into the spring to look for his family guess who follows him I'll give you a hint she's dressed in red and she's not human he goes into the spring with his suit to look for his family and Jessica follows him
0: and Jessica's like Oh, Matt, you know, you could just join this club and, like,
3: everything will be all so great. By the way, the temperature, rising. Oh, God. Turns out the spring is literally a portal to hell. Oh, my God. That's right. Hell is real, and it's in Southern California
0: it makes sense that hell would be in Southern California, especially if you've been there during a normal summer in Southern California. Am I
3: right? (laughs) Guilty. And while Matt is in hell, he hears the wailing of the condemned saying, save
2: us, save us.
3: So yeah, how is he going to, you know, oh God, Soleil Moon fries in hell too. No, not Soleil Moonfry. Everybody's in hell. And Jessica's like, Those are just an illusion. You're hearing things. Don't do it. You'll be broken to bits. And he's like, Well, I'm f-ed anyway. Whee! I'm going in the hell of my heat-resistant spacesuit. Woo! And he jumps into the precipice and all of a sudden, he's in another dimension. He has absolutely no idea where it is. I mean, yeah, looks like steaming springs, but it's not. And you know how I know this? Because everything's all negative imaged. That's how you know we're in another dimension.
0: Yeah, it's in a crappy ass filter. That's how you know we're not in the real world anymore.
3: And we enter his house, and Patricia is playing the piano like a woman possessed. Jessica follows him, and she's about to lay some truth on this. Everybody who went into the spring did so willingly. How would you like to free yourself? By the way, okay. don't go into that room. Not even your suit can shield you. Oh, no. He takes his helmet off, throws it at Jessica, and takes his chance at the uh, mystery room. And it just so happens that Patricia is in a force field. Actually, his entire family is in a force field. He can look. He can't touch. If he tries to touch, boom. Now, Jessica says... If you touch the force field, you'll be blown to bits. Now think about this. Jessica has lied about everything so far. How do we not know that she's not lying about this? She tempts Matt with money, power, prestige. Matt was like, I don't want money. I don't want power. I want my family back. Jessica's like, I can damn you to eternity. And Matt's like, I'm ready to call your bluff on that because, frankly, all you can do is tease and tempt me. The choice, you said so yourself. Everybody who went into the spring did so willingly, of their own volition. So if you think about it, it's my choice. It's up to me. He takes his suit off. Jumps into the forest field. and gets Patricia back. Oh, it was that easy, huh? And Robbie. And Chrissy. Oh, thank God. But here's the thing. You want to know what the whole secret sauce is? Everything Matt has done was out of love.
0: Oh, yeah, love.
3: It's the only thing that is strong enough to defeat the demon's evil magic. And I know it sounds cliche. It's only because it is.
0: All these people want to get into this club. They did so out of greed. Matt, he didn't want to be in this club. He just wanted his family.
3: He did. And the next thing you know, Jessica explodes in a beam of light and the family has returned to their house. And outside, sirens everywhere. The house is okay, but the country club burned to the ground and Everybody has no idea what happened.
0: It's like how did this club burn into the ground all of a sudden
3: in the middle of the night?
0: Huh? Hmm.
3: He doesn't know. All he knows is everything's back to normal or you know what passes for normal around here. And that's the movie. That's the movie! And yes, it is incredibly cheesy, it's incredibly tacky, and it's incredibly 80s. But hey, for a movie about demons, what were you expecting?
0: Yeah. And of course, it's from Wes Craven, so you get what you came
3: for. Yep. A lot of demon worship, and a story or two at the end. So, how did this movie actually do? It was on Thursday night, May 24th of 1984. So, literally the first day of the summer, as it were. Because everything else is in reruns. Except a new episode of The Duck Factory. Previous entry The Duck Factory. So opposite Magnum P.I. and Simon and Simon reruns on CBS and Give Me a Break, Family Ties, Cheers, and The Duck Factory on NBC, it actually won the night. Oh, yeah, because
0: obviously you have Susan Lucci, who's on maybe like one of the two biggest shows in daytime at the time in All My Children. It was probably like that in General Hospital, like top two.
3: Love in the Afternoon. So this movie, Invitation to Hell, it did get a home video release thanks to Carlton. It can be streamed for free on YouTube thanks to FilmRise, who pretty much own 90% of everything you ever watched in your life right now.
0: And it's on TV.
3: Let's be honest. If it's purchased by FilmRise it's going to wind up on Tubi because
0: as we've established on this podcast, Tubi will air any old crap
3: true well, we were all into the demons on May when the season was over but until we unearthed these demons Invitation to Hell was just a thing on TV. did they ever rerun this movie, you think?
0: Probably. Maybe on hmm. cable at least. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. But remember, you can always go to our website over at itwasathingontv.com, where you can listen to the 419 episodes preceded this one. We've got all sorts of great bonuses there, including mini shows, live shows, extended versions of previous episodes, the whole works. And remember, we are on all social media, including Instagram, threads, and masters now, over at TV. Except for Facebook, where we were at, it was a thing on TV podcast. And remember, the podcast we listen to, wherever find podcasts, we streamed in for Apple Podcasts, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Audible, etc. And don't forget, we are on YouTube. We can like and subscribe to our channel. And don't forget to hit the notification bell on YouTube to be informed of all future uploads on the channel, including what's coming up on the podcast next time. Well. Halloween is still going on, and, well, Chico, you weren't here for Second Chance 1977. I wasn't. But you were here for Second Chance 1987. I was. And we will all be here for the final part of the Second Chance trilogy when we cover Second Chance 2016.
3: Now, the first Second Chance from 77 was basically a quiz show with board game guts. The second Second Chance was basically, I'm dead, I'm back to life, I gotta figure out where I went wrong and correct myself. What could possibly be the impetus of this third Second Chance? I mean... Did Fox just Frankenstein a crime drama together or something? Yeah. Okay.
0: But also, okay. Now, imagine the Washington Nationals president's race, but with the personalities and pregame hosts for Monday Night Football.
3: That doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't make any sense. I'm guessing it'll make sense once we talk about it. Yeah,
0: and I'm sure Tony Kornheiser will stay up past his bedtime for the next two installments of It Was a Thing on TV. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you with those episodes next week.
1: Wow! Oh,
4: God, we're back. (laughs) And, Erica, you have control of the board.
2: World capitals for 300
4: It's called The City of Light Paris You're right You're so very right
0: You, Jack, hello Could
3: you Could you speak up I can't, I can't hear so well over here From here World capitals for 600 Oh, okay
0: Argentina. Well, Jack, I know the answer. It's Gueness Aries, Jack. Gueness Aries, Jack. That's the
4: answer. Gueness Aries. Uh Hello? Some members of our studio audience will receive Party Improver. Invite Party Improver to your next party. And watch your party improve. And tick off. Simply the finest tick repellent money can buy. And tick away its chief competitor. And the home version of Game Breakers by Nintendo Entertainment Systems. Jack, back to you. Thank you, Don. We're back, and Erica still has control of the board, and she's about to make me the happiest man in the world. Will the bride and groom please join hands? She's the most fascinating woman I've ever seen. We're ready.
1: Don't do this, Jack. She's only using you.
4: If any man here knows any reason why these two should not be joined in holy matrimony, speak now. You have 15 seconds.
2: <laughs> I believe I have an objection. Oh, geez, oh, geez. Geez. Yes.
4: Mrs. Erica, Kane, Martin, Brent, Cottahy Chandler, Montgomery, Montgomery, Rayburn! I was, I was in town taping Circus of the Stars. I believe you've met my friends Siegfried and Roy. Very clever, Rayburn. But it won't work. I'll have Erica Kane for my wife, and
1: nothing and no one will stop me.
4: Erica,
2: look look Erica. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Tune oh, oh, in tomorrow
4: for another episode of Game Breakers. This is Don Pardo Stevens. Oh,